Welcome to the podcast. Today we'll talk about sensory processing, which is the way our senses understand the world. And we'll go beyond the general senses, which are touch, smell, taste, sight. Am I forgetting one? Anyway, you know them. So we'll go beyond those because there are three other senses that we generally don't talk about that are part of how we understand the world and our emotional intense kids sometimes understand the world in a different way. So we'll do that today. And to do that, we welcome guest Munira Ardenwala. She's been a pediatric occupational therapist for more than 25 years. She specializes in sensory processing. She helps children from birth to 13 years old to move, learn, play, and write by getting to the root cause and developing the underlying sensory and motor skills needed. Munira is a strong advocate for parents' intuition and knowing their child's best. Kind of like I am, so you know why I wanted her here today. She empowers parents with the knowledge and confidence to support their child's sensory, motor, and emotional needs through consultation and parent groups program. She's the creator of the Foundations for Writing program, which help parents develop and support their child's underlying sensory and motor skills for writing using the no writing way approach. So let's get started. Welcome to Parenting the Intensity, where we'll talk all about how we can drop the general parenting advice that doesn't work with our emotionally intense kids anyway, and let go of the unrealistic expectations society puts on us as parents. Together, we'll find solutions and ideas that work for you and your kids. Chances are, deep down, you know what they need, but you need a little encouragement to keep going on harder days and permission to do things differently and help you fully trust that you already are a wonderful parent to your exceptional but challenging kids. So, hi, welcome Munira. I'm really glad you're here. We'll talk today a bit about sensory processing. I think a lot of our emotionally intense kids do have sensory processing issues. And it's something that is, at least, I would say for me, pretty complicated to understand. So I'm guessing for lots of parents, it's the same. <laughs> so I'm really glad you're here with us today. So first, can you explain the one-on-one of what is sensory processing because we all know the senses taste smell and things like that but sensory processing is a bit more complicated than that and sometimes we just think of maybe the kids with the headphones that don't too much noise but but it's more than that (laughs) yeah yeah so it very basically it looks at how you make sense of your senses And the way I I look at it is I compare it to a computer often. Like a computer, you have input, which is like the information that comes in. Then you have how it's processed inside of the computer and then how it is output. So for us, the input is your senses, your normal five senses, taste, touch, smell, sight, and hearing. And then you also have uh, some other senses. We have uh, proprioception, which is your senses from your muscles and your joints. It basically tells you where your body is. It would sound so obvious to us that, yeah, we should know where our body is. But 
a lot of people cannot really feel where their body is and know where they are really. And then we also look at your vestibular sense, which is your sense of movement. And then there's also your interoception sense, which is knowing and feeling how things feel inside of your body, whether it's knowing when you have to go to the bathroom or knowing when you're hungry or knowing when your heart is racing or your breathing feels a little fast and how all of that relates to your emotions and feeling when things are starting to to happen. And so we look at how that information comes into the body and how it's processed in the brain. So either if you're sensitive to some of that information or you may not feel that information because you might need a lot to feel it or to hit that sweet spot in the brain to sense Mm -hmm. it. And then how that affects many different skills, such as how does it affect your coordination um, or how does it affect your ability to cope with different things in in your day or cope with uh, the demands of daily life how it affects your play skills your um, socializing with people um, or or even like getting dressed in daily life type of skills so So, yeah basically it's how we interpret the world around us yeah through this all those different senses right Yeah, yeah. So how all of those senses are processed in the brain and how that affects your interpretation of your world. And you can see it through your child's coordination, how they concentrate, how they focus, how they learn all of those. uh, That's like the clues to tell you about how a person processes sensory information. Mm -hmm. And you touched that some kids, they're sensory avoiders they don't like too many inputs some kids need a lot of input yeah so we have uh, kids who are what we um, call uh, sensitive to sensory information and you will see them as being like uh, avoiding sensory input or fleeing sensory input or they're overwhelmed when there's lots of things going on so they might be sensitive to each of those senses so to touch they might be sensitive to being touched by other people or the the feeling of their clothes or by different foods you might see someone being sensitive and then for a sound it'd be often it's a hand dryers or fire sirens are uh, sensitive for kids or even being in like loud or busy places like a loud classroom or being out on a recess or break time where it's more more louder with all the children playing and it might be even sensitive to movement where they're more really cautious with moving their body or as babies it might be that they had a hard time being moved around like the kids that don't like to be thrown in the air or climbing up high or going on the swings may be hard for them because they feel it a lot and they're also a bit insecure with their body they're not feeling where their body is in space so they feel lost with their body Um, Is that what the like weighted blanket are helpful for? I think the weighted blanket is more for when children might feel overwhelmed or distressed. It's a calming strategy, but I like to use more active proprioception type of activities to feed the body with more sensory information. It makes more of an impression in the brain if you're doing activities uh, to to feel where you are. Um, 
And this it also releases that dopamine, which is kind of uh, calming, and that has a, a knock-on effect on the emotional side, which I know you do a lot with. So, so that's a sensitive side. And then we have the side where kids may uh, kids need a, a lot more sensory information. And these are the kids who they're like very fiddly or fidgety. They're wiggly. It's hard for them to sit still, or they may, may be really rough with their bodies. So they're doing things with a lot of pressure or they're kind of walking like an elephant, kind of like they're (laughs) more more hard with their body or they also need to be really active. So they're always on the go and it's all in an attempt to kind of feel where their body is. And it's also how they learn best when they're more moving. And it's also interesting that different people learn differently as well. So some well, for instance, they can talk and get their thoughts out much better when they're moving their hands around or if they're pacing or walking back and forth is when mm-hmm. they get information out of their heads better when they're moving. So it's just also some of it is just a sensory differences, if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. it's just like that- different from one person to another. And also, like, if I'm not wrong, some kids can be both like for some aspect, they can be like avoiding sensory input, but on some other aspect, they are looking for those input. So yeah. because I th- I think we're looking often for one type of child or the other, but then when it's mixed, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I've hardly ever met any child who is not mixed in some okay. way. And that's what they call a, a sensory modulation. The brain is trying to find balance. So sometimes if a child might be sensitive to sounds, they might be really busy and active with their body, but it's just they're trying to feed their body with information to make sense of the world around them. And that actually also helps them to make sense of sounds as well, to be able to feel like how far or near something is when you know where your body is and have some spatial awareness. So it's all connected. Yeah, yeah. And it can be complicated for parents to understand what is playing like I know for a a long time I was confused because one of my children it looks like she's avoiding sounds but then she yells really really loud so that doesn't make sense it's weird why is she is she so loud loud if she doesn't love loud sounds (laughs) yeah it also might be I think when you're in a and I I don't know your child I'm I'm just saying what I know from sometimes when you're in a high high state yourself or Mm -hmm. a fight or flight kind of state or if you're sensitive you kind of use a high-pitched voice on that level as well so Mm. that might be a reason like I know if I'm stressed or overwhelmed I might get a bit louder and my voice gets a bit like shorter if if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like Mm short breath and so it's it yeah, doesn't higher pitch. Like, yeah, that does definitely make sense. I can say I saw that in general when she's irritated, she will be, of course, louder than if she's just happy. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing is that often people think that their child is really sensory seeking. And sometimes it's also sensory like fleeing. It looks like they're really active or they're really busy and all over the place and that they're enjoying sensory information but also it's sometimes it's that they are sensory fleeing from the overwhelm and it looks like they are seeking does that make sense Uh, yeah yeah so like they're overwhelmed and so they're trying to calm themselves by doing that is that is that it and and what looks like they're moving is they're also trying to just get away from 
the overwhelm. And I, I think that's really important from the emotional side of things to notice when it looks like they're sensory seeking, but they're fleeing because things are becoming too much. Mm-hmm. And it might be too much right then in the moment, or it could just be like a buildup of too many little too muches. Yeah, yeah. In the- yeah that present late later on yeah I can definitely like we had a great example of that this summer I went shopping with my my child and it was it was a big mall yeah it was not so busy but still it's a big mall and I know like store is not a strong suit and at some point we were like in the last one it was the calmer one with almost nobody a very big store but at some point she told me like I have enough I need to go out and we just we went out of the store and it was like it was clearly too much from the other stores we went in before yeah. because that one was not the problem at all like if we only had gone to this one she would have been fine so i yeah. think that was a very clear example of like now it's too much i've had enough from the, the all the places we went before this one you know yeah yeah. Because I think sometimes it doesn't make sense. If I didn't know anything about that, I would like, why is this one a problem since it's the calmer one of it all? Why? Yeah. But yeah once you know it's, it can be an accumulation of triggers and of sensory input, then it makes more sense. I think it's like the example of like the blue plate that the kids can make a huge thing about. It's generally not the blue plates, the problem. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, it's something else. Yeah, yeah, it's something else going on and other things that have accumulated over the time and then they're yeah. bursting for the color of the plate for a reason that is nothing to do with the color of the plate. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I think as parents or adults, we probably feel this way about things yeah. as, as well, isn't it? It's like all the little little things that you deal with all day and then you're like, ah, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah definitely and we lose patience much more at the end of the day than at the beginning of the day yeah yeah so all those little little things have filled up our cup too much yeah and I think it's a great reminder that we also are sensory people and we can also be more sensitive to some things or need more seeking on some things and so it applies to us as parents also <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Like even some parents, it's harder to cope with too much noise, you mm-hmm. know, or I'm just thinking because I, I get dizzy e- easily. So if mm-hmm. I see that people are turning yeah. around in circles or pa- pacing back and forth a lot, it makes me feel dizzy. But this is like a me problem. It's not a them problem. Mm-hmm. We have to also work together yeah. sometimes as, as well. Uh, and that would that- be the vestibular one, right? Yeah, yeah. It's also your eyes. Your eyes and your movement system are connected together a lot. Yeah. That's another interesting thing is like all these senses, they work together quite mm-hmm. a lot. So your movement system in the brain, it sends a lot of pathways to the ears. It sends a lot of uh, connections to the eyes and it sends connections to your muscles and your joints to help you feel your body more. And it also sends uh, connections to the limbic system which uh, for your emotional system to help with calming. So all of these senses, they af- affect other senses as well. Mm-hmm. And w- which I, I think it, it kind of makes things a bit more fun at, at the same time, knowing that you can help a child with their emotions by working on their proprioceptive sense for instance sense giving you lots of input to your muscles and joints and that's going to release that dopamine which is calming 
as well. And it's grounding. So by doing activities like jumping on a trampoline or crashing onto a crash pad or climbing activities or obstacle courses or heavy pushing and pulling or those kind of activities, you you might think them and say, oh, how are we working on emotions by doing yeah. that? But by doing that, you're grounding grounding the body and telling the body here you are and where you are more. And then that helps your emotions get grounded more as well. And mm-hmm. I, in my programs, we work on controlling our pressure or knowing the force that you use with your body, hard force or medium force or light force. And this is something you never have to think about. It just automatically happens based on the activities that you're doing. But mm-hmm. we work developing the underlying skills but I often find that once kids can control their body and stop and start and move their body with more control parents are often saying that they're also more steadier in their emotions and more grounded with their emotions and dealing with stuff more as well but it's just because you know the body and the mind are all connected Connected. yeah and that proprioceptive sense the grounding is not just in your body it's grounding in your mind um, Mm -hmm. and your emotions as well and when you feel what your body is doing you can kind of feel the emotions more as well okay so it's like it helps the interoception part too yeah okay okay so it it helps to feel what we're feeling inside too when we are more like grounded and outside with so basically that i'm just Maybe I'm completely off here, but I, is that like related to mindfulness in some way? Well, what, what I think happens is when when you feel your body and okay, I'm going to go on a slight tan- tangent here, but it's, it is kind of connected yeah, go. as well. You know how when you're in fight or flight, you're kind of moving fast. So your mind is moving fast and your body's moving fast. Your heart rate goes fast and everything kind of goes a bit faster. So I find with kids I um, see for the emotional regulation side it's hard for them to slow down mm-hmm. and control their body so that's when I do a lot of this proprioceptive work to ground and like get the body to slow down and to stop almost does that make sense mm-hmm. and then when we can work on the body being able to be stronger and more able to stop and start it it impacts on the emotional side mm-hmm. well, but this whole being able to kind of come out into a s- slower pace and a, a more grounded and steady and stronger body it also brings the mind to slow down as well yeah okay and I think <clears throat> it's pretty clear for many parents like some kids need to move to get their energy out and to sleep at yeah. night this is something we we know But it's not exactly that. It's different. And it's not just moving. It's some specific way to move. Like you were giving example, jumping on the trampoline. And so it's not just running around the block, for example, right? Yeah. Well, for some kids, that that running is more activating to that fight or flight system. So it's doing things which bring you down and bring you kind of here. And that's anything that's got more heavy feeling to the muscles and the joints. So I do a lot of crawling activities or pulling on a, on a rope or tug of war or simply pushing against my hands and push me over kind of games Okay. Uh, to kind of feel where you are. Yeah. It's almost doing weights. Okay. But- yeah, I can definitely see 
for example, my daughter is in a preschool where they have like a matricity room and they're always there at the end of the morning and they're all out of control. Basically, they're running around everywhere. They're climbing everywhere, pushing things. It's, they're completely out of control. And I think that's why they're moving. That's good. But they're not doing that kind of movement. They're doing movement that are more exciting to their fight or flight yes. response than. Yeah. And it's very yeah. loud and echoey. And they're tired because they were all morning at school. And so I think it's just not the right activity. Like they should be, yeah. they could be doing just different activities and then they would be much more calm. <laughs> yeah, like we just had a lot of like tunnels and things on the ground. So the kids could literally get down to the ground. And I always say when you're getting down to the ground, that's grounding. Makes work. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or even just having like doing a lot of Play-Doh or something at the end of the day. That's, mm-hmm. that's also lots of that heavy resistance. With and, the hands. Yeah. And yeah. then for all children would be like putty or clay would be more resistive enough for yeah. them to, yeah. to be more grounding for them so and I love also your example of like pushing against your ends would you say yeah. it's something that we could use if the child is really dysregulated and in a complete meltdown if the child accepts to do it is it something we could do to help them calm in the moment because that's yeah. something that parents ask all the time like when my child is completely dysregulated what yeah. can I do Yeah, I think it's something you can try. But also in the moment, strategies are quite difficult Mm -hmm. to do. Sometimes you just have to ride it out. Yeah. And and you almost have to clock it for next time as a parent and Mm -hmm. just bring awareness to yourself of what happened before, what brought came to this level and what can you do next time? And Mm -hmm. can you add those sensory strategies next time? Before. Before. Before you're going to do that thing or what led to that, that and also, sometimes you just don't know what led to that yeah. moment. Yeah. Well, it can be that. very hard. I also think that sometimes we can see our children starting to become more yes. overwhelmed. And when they're not completely dis- dysregulated, they're just starting to be dysregulated. Then we can send yeah. them on the trampoline or yeah. things like that and not wait for them to be completely dysregulated. And sometimes we just don't see it. Sometimes it's just zero to a hundred in like a matter of seconds and we don't know, but I yeah. feel sometimes it's helpful and just doing those more sensory activities on a regular basis, I'm guessing is helpful too, yeah. right? Yeah, I think. And also knowing your child and when when to do it. I'm not very strict about doing things like every one to two hours. I think it depends on your child and on the day and what's going on for them on that day, if, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, but just making to notice your child and when it is that they need to have like their cup filled. Mm-hmm. And, and as you do more, you'll see when is a good time to do this. So yeah, and it, it could be for instance, if you're going to school, you might have like putty or something in for them to play with in the back seat of the car when going to school. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that you walk to school instead. Or I don't know if kids walk to school where you are or, or not or <laughs> where I am not but where I used to live yeah definitely <laughs> depends yeah, where school and pushing like the stroller if you have a sibling or, or something you know mm-hmm. um, so say jumping works or not I, it's different for different children for some okay. children the jumping is activating okay. and for some children it's really grounding and I think it also relates to what their strength and coordination is so how yeah. hard the 
jumping is because you go like jumping, 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 and they're not stopping. And then they fall at the end. And that's a jumping where they're not able to stop and control within the jumps. Whereas I will work on jumping and being able to stop Mm -hmm. as well. So for me, if the child can do one jump and stop, that's great because that means that they can control. control. Yeah. Yeah. So if kids can control the jump, then I find that it can be a really positive thing. And then for them to control, I find it it puts them more into fight or or flight. Yeah. Because they're kind of in physical danger to some extent because they can fall and hurt themselves. And if parents are trying some of those things and they're looking if the child is, if it's calming for them or if it's just more dysregulating, what should they look for? to know which effect it has on their children. Yeah, so if it's uh, calming, you'll see, you you know, you feel that sense when it's like a sigh almost. Mm. And so you'll feel that with your child as well, that they will kind of slow down. They might be a bit more focused and they might be a bit more playing with you. You might find that you might even notice more like coordination Mm -hmm. as, as well. And then if it's the opposite end, one thing you might notice is a higher pitch voice. You might notice that they're kind of moving a little faster. And Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting because sometimes this is all kids know. When kids are in this fight or flight kind of state or this fast kind of state, that to them is is their normal. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's like to feel a bit moving slower to them that's abnormal it just feels weird so they will they're often seeking that state of feeling high if you know uncomfortable I mean. basically but because they're used to that. that high state it's, it's normal to them so to them it's uncomfortable to be in a slower state so we almost have to do it really slow go slow with mm-hmm. with them to feel that way and and so they feel used they get used to feeling calmer basically yeah, yeah. I know. It's like withdrawal. You need to get out yeah. of that state of being. I guess it's when we as adults, we just do too much yes. all the time. And at some point when we sit down, we feel like we should not be sitting down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yes, and I think that the kids who are like this, they have a hard time to be sitting down to do things. So we have to do some movement. And to me, this proprioceptive sense is like the answer to everything. Nelly, you cannot really go wrong with it by doing the resistive muscle heavy mm-hmm. work kind of activities and just honoring if your child is tired, then yeah. you do something more resistive with the hands then mm-hmm. instead of like all the physical activities. Um, sure. But if you do too much movement, you can go wrong with it because it can be too a- activating mm-hmm. um, for, for you. But the proprioceptive sense, it's really the safest place to start. And is why in, in my programs and when I see kids one-to-one, I always, always start with the proprioceptive okay. sense. And um, I know also that you use that as a way to help children with their writing for children that are struggling with that. I think it's really different than what in, they will do in most schools anyway, for children who needs help writing. What can you suggest parents translate that to writing? Because I would say from the get-go, I don't see the relationship between the two. <laughs> Actually, it affects kids' self-esteem and confidence quite a lot when you just do more of the writing practice without addressing the skills that they really need. Like the writing is just the um, tip of the iceberg and it's mm-hmm. really a reflection of other things that they need help with in their body. 
And the way I look at it is I, I look at the whole body and I use what I call a no writing way to help kids is writing, which many parents find quite re a relief almost that there's yes. another <laughs> Lots of kids too, I'm sure. <laughs> In the kids, yes, the ki older kids, I have parents say that they told their child that they're going to use a no writing way yeah. to help their writing right away. They're kind of really curious about it. So much more uh, on board from the get go, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's because, well, the, the writing, it, it it's a, a reflection of a child's sensory processing and strength and coordination. So to write, you have to really look big first. If we look at a child's body awareness, their strength, their, their coordination, and you have to have this awareness of your body to really first even be able to comfortable to sit still yeah. to, to write, or even if you're standing and moving, but there's still an element of stillness when yeah, writing. It's, it's hard to write when you're moving at the same yeah. time, definitely. I've yeah. tried to do it and walking and writing at the same time is not good. <laughs> yeah, I, I do it quite a bit because I, I have a clipboard that I will stand and write with and yeah. I get stiff when I sit. So I like to be mo moving quite a lot. So, but even you're more still mm -hmm. when you're writing. Right? So you have to have this body awareness of, of your body to know where your body is. And then you have to have spatial awareness to know where your body is related to other things. And, you know, for writing, you have to have lots of spatial awareness and con uh, understanding of spatial concepts to know how to form the, the letters, if it's going top to bottom or across or around and mm -hmm. putting all of that, that together. And then you also have to have this strength and stability so that you can kind of hold your hands and your fingers and have a stability the yeah. trunk and the arms need to yes. be strong enough and stable enough basically yes a steady base so that you can control with your hands and fingers and often when kids are pressing too hard when they write or their hands are getting sore from writing it's because they don't have a steady base but before okay. even of course people always think oh we need to improve core strength and, and their shoulder strength first but before that you have to first really activate the body and help the body feel aware Because mm -hmm. you get sensory input first goes to the brain and then that affects motor output. So it makes sense. You first need the sens sensory awareness before mm -hmm. the strength. If that makes, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to know where your body is before the strength comes yeah. after otherwise knowing where the body is. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Otherwise, it's too hard yeah. to work on the strength if you don't know where your body is. So that's what I do first in my program is we start with this uh, proprioceptive sense and we develop this body awareness and it's, it's a program for handwriting. But really what happens is kids' self-esteem and confidence is the biggest thing that develops. Yeah. From in general, from like often in school, we focus on what's not going well. So if you're yeah. not writing well, we're going to practice that more, yeah. which is hard for self-esteem because yeah. you're doing more of what you're not good at. Yes. which is not the best. But when you focus on something else that makes it at the end that you're writing better without yeah. even trying, yeah. how good yeah. does it do it? It's yeah. the same thing as I have trouble regulating my emotions. I'm working on jumping in trampoline or jumping in a bed and suddenly I'm having less trouble regulating my emotion. How great that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's really interesting because sometimes when you develop their body awareness, one of the things that happens in my program is that parents will say that their child is scaling the rock wall all of a sudden now. And mm -hmm. because they have the strength and coordination and at the same time as that, as their confidence comes as well. But can yeah. you imagine 
can scale this rock wall, your confidence also comes in. It yeah. translates to many other areas. And although I love seeing kids interested in and choosing and wanting to write because they have the strength and coordination stuff to do. So my my favorite thing that comes up is that they feel like good about themselves and yeah. they have confidence to try new and different things and see they can see that they can do things as well which is I, th- I think quite empowering for, for them sure. and, and also when you support parent parents to do things I think parents feel good and that they understand their child more mm. they can feed them more and that that must have um, a knock-on effect on your sure. kids as sure well, right? sure when parents feel more comfortable and more confident in what they're doing it has an effect on the kids for sure the, the ripple effect is clear for beyond that front so yeah if you like empower the parents with the knowledge and tools to help their yeah. kids then yeah. automatically it translates and if they understand all those sensory things it's not helping just for the writing it's helping for so many other things including yeah. the emotional regulation and so It's helping way more largely than just writing. I love intervening on one thing that has a ripple effect positively on other things, how great that is. <laughs> the brain is so amazing yeah. to, to be able to do that. And you're looking just beyond like muscles and strength and coordination. I love that it affects so many things and how it's also this whole connection piece with your person and how that creates that sense of safety Mm-hmm. as well and I, I really love working with parents I'm biased I am a parent I guess as well but <laughs> I just, the parents they're so attuned to their kids mm-hmm. and also we're able to work with parents have their own deep intuition about yeah. their kids so once they just know the information they're able to just take off with it and to come up with their own strategies and their own ideas just mm-hmm. having understanding and I feel like I'm just kickstarting things for them and then they take it off and I'm always amazed by all the great ideas that they come yeah. up with it's because yeah. they child yeah, best. yeah. they know their yeah. child and it works well yeah, yeah. and that, yeah. that's always what I say like you know your child's best so take what you were given as information and suggestion and choose and pick what works for your family and your children don't, yeah. don't do everything and adapt but sometimes that's the hard part It's yeah. adapting every information that gets in because there are so many and some are contradicting one another. And so it's cleaning that and making sure yeah. it works. <laughs> now it is online like programs and online support for, for parents now, which is I yeah. think is really nice because we're moving from just working on people's kids or working with the kids. And I think it's so important to be working more closely with the parents because mm-hmm. That's who you're seeing all the time. And not that the parents, they don't have to become the teacher or something else, you know, that's no. not that at all. You're staying the parent and parenting your child with this new knowledge and new tools and able to help them on a daily basis. But also often mm-hmm. parents are given a program to go home and do this program, but there's not the support in between to help yeah, them. Which is very important to just what we're talking, adapting yeah. it to your reality. Adapting. And that's what I really like about my on online program is that I get to support the parents throughout the the 10 weeks of the program. Mm-hmm. And so it's much about supporting parents as it is about helping the kids as sure. well. It's what I would want as a parent as well. Mm-hmm. So 
Again, I understanding. And, and I would say sometimes as parents, we just, we don't have the energy. And I think that's okay too. And we don't have to beat ourselves about that. And sometimes I, it did happen to me and it happens to every parent. In some moments in our life, we don't have the energy to learn new stuff to help our children because we're maxed out. And that's okay. We will do yeah. later. At some point, we yeah. will have that energy and we can do it then. It's yeah. not, There's no point in trying to do it all at the same time because it's not yeah. going to work and just make us feel guilty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not meant for that at, at all as well. It's not meant for parents to feel guilty yeah. at, at all. And that's actually another thing that comes up a lot is that parents often will wonder, you know, did is their writing or coordination or even their emotional skills, is it the way that it is because we didn't do it right you know, mm-hmm. and I always mm-hmm. say that it's, it's got nothing to do with you not doing things right. And often they're obviously they're doing things right because they're yeah. coming forward, right. And I'm, it's all it's just brain science. It's just how the brain is working. It's not you. You've done everything right. And they are where they're at now because of you doing what you are, yeah. are doing. And in general, uh, my basis is if you're asking yourself the question, if I'm a good parent, you're a good parent. Yes. If you're not asking yourself a question, Maybe start, but if you're asking yourself a question, you're a good parent because all good parents ask themselves if they're good parents and try to be better parents. I think that's the basic of a good parent. It's the only yeah. definition of being a good parent. <laughs> yeah, you just always want to do the best for your child, doesn't yeah. it? And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's even a little harder when you've got kids with different kind of needs that you may not be used to or others are not used to yeah. as well nice to have a place I think as parents where you feel like you've got your hands held and supported yeah along, along and I way. generally asked that question at the beginning but I totally forgot so why are you doing what you're doing I love to know the why behind what people do so you yeah. you're an OT but why and you're working with sensory specifically which like yeah. OT can work in different lots of different things yeah. why did you choose that field Yeah, and I actually really, it was a total accident that I became an occupational therapist. I started off as a uh, biomedical engineering and with the intent to go to med school because I always knew I'd want, I wanted to work with kids since I was a kid. And I did one year of it and I absolutely hated it. And then like just a few weeks before I was going to start the next year, I was really not looking forward to it. And my mom told me about occupational therapy and I'm, oh, okay, that sounds all right. I know I don't want to be a physical therapist or a speech therapist. So this is the other one. And I saw a picture of, it was basically a sensory integration clinic. I saw a picture of like swings in a clinic and kids inside of it. Now, yes, that's what I want to do. I <laughs> yeah, I would say OT gyms and I'm, physical therapist gym for pediatrics often looks very fun. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was that's but it's actually what I did do. I've done it for 25 years now, working with kids with sensory processing needs. So I feel in some deeper level, I kind of maybe knew what I needed. And then I also have a kid with sensory needs and differences as well. And I recognize so many in myself as well. Lockdown, I broke my wrist and it was hard to work like directly with kids then. And mm-hmm. my son started a YouTube channel and yeah. He's like, you should make videos too. And then <laughs> that led up to my whole online program, which I've been doing now for three years. So oh, it, love that um, story. Yeah, <laughs> it's your kids that got you into doing videos. Love that. <laughs> yeah, he was only eight. He started a YouTube um, channel during lockdown. And wow. he actually, he's in my videos as well for, for my program because I get to, I 
trying to show parents what they can do with their own child. And I mm-hmm. want them to see it not being all like amazing and perfect as well, because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm always saying that, you know, it's good enough is, is fine. Yeah. And so I, I do the activities with um, my son so that other parents can see. Yeah. So, and you see the reality of not just like interacting with a doll, which comply all the time, but a real child yeah. doesn't comply all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not just written as a list on paper. You get to kind of see what it really looks like. Yeah. Which as- is sometimes the hard part, like applying the recommendation. Yeah. 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 So I love that it's very visual. Thank you for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's basically how I got into into what I've done um it's kind of a little funny it was kind of a quick decision but sometimes those quick decisions are yeah. are like your intuition just knowing yeah, it's just the right thing to do right now love that story yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so I've I've been very lucky I've worked with so many amazing parents and kids along the way and I feel that I've learned so much from par- the other parents mm-hmm. as well for me on my parenting journey and we're kind of all all in it together yeah yeah for sure <laughs> and is there any resource you would like to share with the community that was your helpful for you in your parenting journey yes I really like a lot of this the ND affirming work that is 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 out there now as as well so there's learn play thrive is a, a podcast and they share a lot of information from autistic voices or people who have the diagnosis that they're sharing mm-hmm. about and I also like uh, in England we have Naomi Fisher she's a I don't know, psycho- psychologist or psychotherapist I get a bit mixed up sometimes but she shares a lot as well about children who have had difficulty in school or a school has had difficulty reading the child at school and mm-hmm. on uh, ways to support them emotionally as well and I I like a lot of her work as well she's got a couple of books out there too okay Uh, yeah we'll put all the links in the show notes if you want to look them up and I just want to press like like ND affirming is neurodivergent affirming for those who are not are very specific and like the sensory thing that we just talked is often something we see in the neurodivergent community but it's not just neurodivergent kids right it can be yeah Yeah. Like kids that don't have autism or ADHD or learning disabilities, it can be anybody. Yeah, process sensory things yeah, in yes, some way. <laughs> process sensory information and have our own um, quirks and our own things that we have difficulty with. But with in the neurodivergent community, it's more pr- pronounced, and yeah. it's more about not seeing that it's something wrong with you at all. It's just something that you need more of, and that mm-hmm. you should have access to your what sensory supports and strategies at all times, and other people being understanding of that mm-hmm. as well. Not that you need to be changing to fit into a certain mold if that makes sense you should yeah. be having access to your strategies and supports um yeah. I'll definitely time. have an episode with like we're gonna dig more yeah. into what that is yeah. all yeah. but <laughs> that be a whole nother rabbit hole I think yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well I just wanted to put a little note on that so people are not completely lost if they're not uh, familiar with the terms yeah um, so thank you very much for that and if parents want to learn more about your uh, writing program and if they need support where can they find you Well, I have a uh, Facebook group called Helping Kids Write. 
So that's my my Facebook group where I share information. And I also have an, a 10 weeks online program called Foundations for Writing, which runs every few months. And I run this free workshop every few months. Okay. It's called Beyond the Pencil Grasp. And I run that every few months. And then my program runs after that. But you, right. you can find out all of that in my Helping Kids Write group. And my website is ot4kids.co.uk. Okay, so I'm, we're going to put all those links in the show notes as well so people can find them more easily. Great. And I always say if you felt a nudge, if that might be something that works for us, I always encourage you to go and check more information because often we know as parents what's going on, but we know without knowing. But when we come across the right knowledge, suddenly it clicks and when yeah. it clicks, I always encourage parents to just go for it and go check that more because often we're right. There's lots of chances that it is part yeah. of it anyway. Might not be the only thing, but it might be part of what's going on. So if anything resonated, I encourage <laughs> you to explore a bit more. So thank you so much for being with us today, Munira. I'm so glad you joined me today and took that time out of your intense life to focus on finding a new way to parent that works for you and your kids. To get the episodes as soon as they drop, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, and please leave a rating and review so other parents can find it too. Also, check out all the free resources on my website at familymoments.ca so you can take action on what's the most important for you right now. And take a deep breath, keep going, We're all in this together.